Welcome to along to another episode of From the Resort Podcast. Episode number 38 is the 15th of September 2022. Your host, Tim Wilshere. Um, a lot of the recent podcasts have uh, centered around the upcoming election and uh, uh, candidates for the role of mayor and also for um, the positions of uh, councillor in three different wards um, in the area. So uh, one of the candidates uh, um, in, I guess, uh, putting in her name down in the Aratown Kawarao uh, ward is uh, Lisa Guy, who's a HR specialist, uh, works for uh, her own company, Nourish Talent. Welcome along, Lisa. Thank you, Tim. Bit of an introduction. Yeah. Um, so where we like to start these podcasts, Lisa, uh, basically a bit about early life. So whereabouts were you born and uh, where, what was family life like growing up and yeah, where was that? I was born CBD Auckland, okay. ab- about as CBD as you get, Grays Avenue, Myers Park, um, and mum and I lived in a state flat, which was sort of a high-rise, tiny little development in Grays Avenue, and um, here she comes now, <laughs> interrupted by my mum, no. Um, so... Um, there, we spent uh, my early life really as city dwellers with me commuting by bus, two buses to school and um, and then uh, had to go to kindergarten just across the road at Myers Park really. So okay. I was grow up Aotea Square rollerblading, swimming in the fountain, okay. and inner city kid. Mum, excuse the door opening and closing, my <laughs> mother's just dropped an afternoon tea for Tim to have a nibble on while he comes in. She's a chef, so she's, you should really oh, take that. advantage of that. She's, she's whipped something up over there. Um, well, so mum lives with work. us here in Arrowtown. But yeah, I grew up as a hospitality kid, mm-hmm. um, and every afternoon after school was spent waiting for mum's restaurant to wind down because mm. she was working all day. So I learnt to be a kitchen hand, I yep. learnt to be a waitress, and um, dad worked with Air New Zealand, though my parents were separated. Okay. So I also travelled heaps. I got to be the, um, the yep. yeah staff travel just to see dad, really. Yep. Um, and where, was, where did he get, did he move away? or? He still lived in Auckland. Okay. Yeah, so, so I still, yeah, still had contact with both parents still family we've got this incredibly extended Mm. family network as you can see i live with my mum we've got Mm. three teenage girls Mm. um and parents being dad and stepmom and brothers and sisters are all still in auckland Mm. but because of that and because my mum was so hard working i suppose and getting a business and then buying her own home um, I spent many weekends nearly every weekend with my grandparents okay so they were based there as well uh, one was one lot of grandparents were up in the far north in Kerikeri, okay. okay. in the Bay of Islands, um, and so I had that kind of idyllic childhood. They lived right on the Kerikeri Inlet, mm-hmm. and I used to be able to jump off the jetty and go eeling and mm-hmm. go away on popcorns, trimaran for sailing mm-hmm. trips. So, um, and my other grandparents really put the hard yards in. They would pick me up from school on Friday. They'd have me all weekend so mum mm-hmm. could work, and um, so I grew up really in that 
extended mm. sort of whanau environment. Mm. Brothers and sisters? Do you have any brothers and sisters? Half brother and sister. Yeah. Like I said, complicated yep. family yep. network. Yep. Um, but yeah, my sister, I'm 15 years older than my sister okay. and 18 years older than my brother. Okay. So they, I was like the fun sister because mm. I was a teenager when they were little. So yes. I babysat them, took them to the zoo. Yep. Uh, we're really close now. I love how age gap vanishes as you get yeah, okay. older. Um, and yeah, they're in Auckland family, all those mm. sorts of things. Mm. Um, but until I was 15, I was an only child. Mm. So I grew yeah. up in quite a um, adult environment in that hospitality and tourism sector where, um, yeah, I was around workplaces, not so much after school play dates and things like that. So mm. I became a real avid reader. Mm. My granddad would buy me a book every Friday night and I would have read it by Saturday morning. Um, Nana worked at the farmer's trading company in town and we'd go and pick her up on a Friday night and I'd get to choose a book in the book department. And it was one of my rituals of just really loving that. So um, from that, that's always been my kind of go-to, has been I'm fine on my own, I'm used to my own company, um, but also with my HR background that came in, in later life, I... I used that hyper reading skill, if you mm. like, um, to really dive deep into any business that I worked with. Yeah, so, so, and how long did you stay in Auckland for? Did you move away after, after, um, after? I started uni there. Yeah. I did, a, I went to Auckland Girls Grammar School. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Parnell Primary. Um, again, two buses, sort of a cross town type of thing. But Auckland Girls was a school of a thousand students, mainly Polynesian and Maori. Okay. Um, and in Ponsonby, because that's where Mum's restaurants yep. were. Um, oh, lovely uh, area, Ponsonby. I've been there once or twice, but yeah, um, yeah. When I went yeah. to Auckland once, we, we stopped there and yeah, restaurants and stuff like that. Yeah, well, I was born in Humbay and Wanganui mm. Avenue, which is like. Yeah. Old Villa sort of yeah. Ponsonby Grey Lynn area or Hume Bay area then. But um and all my family were living around there. So um that side of growing up I left when I was twenty one ish, twenty two ish. But I had been at uni doing psych, um, but spending perhaps a little too much time socialising than doing my physics. And I was working part-time, of course, in hospitality. And Mm. I worked on the opening of the Regent Auckland, which was the first five-star hotel that came to New Zealand. Okay. And um, the level of customer service they delivered was just exceptional, right? Uh, We did two weeks training before we were in front of a customer Mm -hmm. or a guest. And, you know, that Regent smile was drilled into you and that attention to detail and all the product knowledge and you Mm. name it. Um, And I realised I was loving my part-time job more than what I was studying for. So I marched into mums and said, I'm dropping out of uni and I'm going to go and work at the hotel full-time. And she said, well, about bloody time, basically. (laughs) You know, there you go. So within a couple of months, I'd had my first promotion to banquet captain within the region. And that meant that we were running events and balls and Mm. things for the ballroom capacity was a couple hundred people but it was really fine dining it was silver service it was primo I looked after prime ministers I looked after rock stars Mm. I had the 
blessing of looking after Rajiv Gandhi as his um, personal uh, waitress one night, served him and David Longy and their wives dinner. Okay. Um, got to meet Annie Lennox, ZZ Top, um, you name it. We got backstage passes to some pretty awesome concerts in, in the day. Well, yeah. yeah, and I was in my twenties. It was great mm. fun. Mm. So um, I did a stint running a catering company because, of course, when you've got a chef as a mother, you learn to cook pretty young because they mm. never want to cook the dinner. Um, you also learn to clean up after yourself when you do cook the dinner because they don't want to do the dishes either. Um, and then. Um, after doing sort of 18 months running this catering company, decided that actually I needed to get out of NZ. Okay, needed to get out, yep. Yeah, I was, you know, go do the big OE. Mm -hmm. And um, I went all the way to Brisbane mm -hmm. <laughs> and the Gold Coast and joined Southern Pacific Hotels. Um, in that role. I went on as a bar manager. I'd never worked in a bar. That was a massive learning curve. And then within a few weeks became training manager of the hotel. And that primarily was because Australia brought in the Training Guarantee Act. So you had to spend 1%, I think it started out, it might have gone to 1.5 pretty quickly, of your payroll on training. Yep. So around that a whole lot of proceeds generated and roles generated. So I became the training manager and joined what they had then was like a distressed hotels group that would go mm. into properties that SPHC had taken over because when they plugged them into the reservation system, their occupancy would just skyrocket and they would need to ramp up staff numbers, train, rebrand. It was like Mission Impossible. You'd sort of go and put the new decals on the door and do all that sort of secret episode. Woohoo, here we go, here's a mm. new hotel. Yep. Um, and so that I did a few of those and then came here yep. to do one, mm -hmm. which was to turn the THC into the Gardens Park Royal. So that was in 92. And that time, Mum skirted off overseas and worked in the UK and in China, okay. in Tianjin. Um, and just before I came here, I applied for a role in Hong Kong. And I got the job here, and then a week later, I found out I'd also had an opportunity to perhaps have taken up manager of the steam biscuit factory at Sheraton, Hong Kong. Might yeah. have been deputy manager, 2IC or something, not manager. Mm. Um, and But I'd accepted the role here. At first going... So tell me about that, that first role here then. So. Yeah. Well, when I first got the phone call, because I'd... It was one of those heart rate moments. Broke up with a boy and said to my GM, I want to go home. And the very next day he's like, right, okay, there's a job in Queenstown, off you go. I'm like, well, Queenstown's not really home. Like, home's Auckland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and why am I going in November? Like, what the hell happens in Queenstown in November? Yeah. I was such a jaffer from Auckland. I just had no <laughs> concept that anything happened down here other than snow, you know? Yeah. And so I rolled into town and... And, and, then, and hadn't you, you never sort of had you been to this part of the world as a child at all or for holidays? I'd been on a one week ski trip with yeah. a boyfriend like when I was 18 or 19 or yeah. something yeah. Um, for a few days mm. and so I literally thought it was ski resort yeah. that was it it was yeah. like what what November what do you yeah. need an HR yeah. manager for in November mm. 
Um, so I rolled up and had to recruit more than 100 staff in the first week um, between two properties. That was the THC and the Park Royal. Um, and I hired all university students because that's what's around. And I was thinking about this morning, actually, I thought, gosh, if you're sitting in the same position today, that's probably exactly what you'd have to do today because they're all coming up on study leave and they're going to be the only people who, can, who, who are around, around right? Yeah. And they might have parents and things living here, so they might have somewhere Hopefully, to yeah. stay. Yeah. Um, but that shot me in the backside in February when they all left, when the hotel was 100% occupancy. Then what happened? Yeah, yeah it wasn't the flavour of the month with the GM that day. Um, so it was a case of get smarter mm. and recruit differently and come up with a way to make working here more sustainable for people. So right back then, um, you know, one of my nana's sayings is the same shit, different bucket. You know, mm. we've got the same issues that were being faced when I arrived here 30 years ago are what we're currently facing. And back then we had more mechanisms around them. We had unionised housing mm. at 75 bucks a week, $70 a week or so. Yeah. You put a person into staff housing. Mm. Hotels ran shuttles before 7 and after 11 that were paid for. Everyone got a meal. Everyone mm. got a uniform. Mm. All of these things were so automatic. The, I mean, the 90s, like, um, in that sort of era where, I mean, what was the economy like back then here? Was it... $18 bottles of Moe. Yeah. It was fantastic. <laughs> you know, we were drinking brain erasers at Chico's and having a ball, living yeah. in staff accommodation. We were still living packed into houses. Yeah. I met my first landlord at a mural event the other night, mm. and um, many in the village will know, Sue Ferry. Um, and we were laughing about how many staff we put into their beautiful home that we were renting up in, in Loman Crescent and I told her that we some guy was paying $75 a week to live in her garden shed you know nothing really on that level I think has shifted and a lot of that was by choice we were young we wanted a big budget for the nightclubs we didn't necessarily want to be in all hotel managed accommodation it was great as an insert to get in here and orientate yourself to the place but there was rules about that. Mm. There was rules about what time your curtains needed to be up in the morning and yep. who you could sort of, you know, you couldn't really have that youthful, free Queenstown experience that many young people seek when they come here. And yep. that's that's part of the rites of passage this place has always been, mm. is the OE destination for other young people travelling mm. in a safe environment. And that's kind of cool to be around as an HR mm. manager. Um, because you come up, you become a bit of a. You've got to be that guidance counsellor, I suppose, mm. in that role. I can remember one day um, Tom Mulligan, GP, here rang me and said, um, "You know, we've had one notified case of gonorrhea. It's gone to eleven by this afternoon. Do you think I could drop some condoms around to all the hotels? The risks are out there, and they haven't changed. Now we're saying to these young guys, get your drugs tested." That day, I walked into the bar and sort of yelled at the barman, are you having safe sex? You know, and he's like, oh, what? Don't ask me that. And I'm like, so sometimes in Queenstown, that level of involvement with your team yeah. to ensure their well-being had to 
be all encompassing from mm. finding them a house to driving them home to checking mm. that they weren't too drunk and they were actually mm. saving themselves some money for food mm-hmm. you know so those well-being bits fed into all sorts of threads of working with this community because mm. you know I've got a bit of a phrase it takes a village to raise an adult yeah. not to pick one up but yeah. sort of lift one up you know yeah, and, yeah. It, and all around here there's so many people engaged in that. And I still see it. Employers are still providing housing. They're still doing stuff. You talk to supermarket operators, hotel operators, um, adventure tourism operators. We have a lot of staff housing here. And we have a lot of very fair and equitable employers. Mm. Um, but, man, they're hitting the wall. They're burnt out and they yeah. need a workforce. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Bring a sort of full circle with that uh, you know, conversation from where you started to where we are sort of now. Um, but, but but in the middle of that, I mean, what else sort of sort of I guess happened in your career? Obviously, you've, you've yeah, I didn't stay in, in hotels in Queenstown the whole thirty years I was here. Obviously, no, no. So what, yeah, what, so what made, what, when what, did you sort what of with the forks in the road? Um, yeah. We have a saying in our family: you get twelve forks in the road, um, and <laughs> 12. That, twelve. Yeah, you, and you'll know them if you look back at your life. Coming here was definitely one for me. Yep. Um, another fork in the road for me was um, I was headhunted by the FMCG business, so fast-moving consumer yep. goods, um, it, by Countdown Supermarkets. Yep. And I worked as training manager New Zealand-wide for Countdown from Tikipunga pretty much to Bluff. Mm-hmm. 3,000 staff, and I set up a corporate traineeship for about 300 and that is, in effect, why I got the job, because the hospitality industry has exemplary training background of offering micro-credentials for decades. It's what makes me laugh about the government thinking it's going to be the next tourism action plan. Hospitality's been doing that for years. Um, and so supermarkets wanted to replicate that. They wanted to pick up the genus of training from hospitality and make a career out of working in a supermarket Mm. because it wasn't seen to be a valued career Mm. and yet at the time I think Countdown Church Corner was turning over like three mil a week and they had staff teams of 145 people and Mm. 12 departments they were very like hotels you had a bakery you had a butchery you you had similar operating environments. You just didn't have to put up with drunk people overnight. So mm. it was an easy transition, and I love adult learning. So then I went back and finished some qualifications because I jumped out of uni early. I jumped out of uni at two years. So I went and did a diploma at Otago um, around adult learning and facilitation, um, and I did that by CAPA, which is assessment of prior learning so as well as doing some further study I had an assessor come into my business where I was working as an independent training consultant and assess me against national standards to prove that I could facilitate which was pretty easy at the time because I was running things like NZ Ski startup training Mm. I wrote cultural Kiwi host for Kiwi host I wrote training for real journeys and skyline I did um, some training for Hackett's. Like most of the iconic employers or hotels here, at some point I've done something with them in the HR sense. Mm. But what I was loving was working around the country 
and also then looking for opportunities to work internationally. And they came too. And so I've been really um, always someone that follows the mantra of go on I dare you, I suppose. Years ago, that was written on a friend's whiteboard. Go on I dare you. And it really made my day feel kind of plain. And I took it to heart and I wrote a leadership program around it. And DARE stands for Decide, Act, Review and Enjoy. Okay. So I've applied that in my business and life and courses. I teach it, I put programs through it. Um, the most recent being Hayden Patton Rally Sport. Um, to lift your performance and productivity, right? And that has taken me some incredible places. It's also been really amazing to see what it does as a catalyst mm. for people. My proudest one was a young boy who couldn't read, or didn't read, didn't like reading, dyslexic. I'm dyslexic and I'm a hyper reader. My father is dyslexic. We're all neurospicy, as we call it in our family, right? Neurospicy. Neurodiverse. Yep. Yeah. My kids, the same. Um, we've got, you know, through our family, from genius to can hardly spell. Um, never critique my spelling, but I can read almost with my eyes shut, right? Mm. And this young boy, same sort of situation with his learning, because I've become really involved in different people's learning styles, learning is my passion, um, didn't want to read, didn't like reading. And we were trying to get to the bottom, I was a friend of his mum's, of what the blockage was. And I knew what the blockage was. There's all sorts of blockages when you learn differently. But I dared him to read a book, any book. I didn't care what the book was. I said, I bet you can do it. You take as long as you like. You find any book you want to read, and I dare you, you give it a go. And he came to me about a month later, and he'd read a book. That was the proof for me mm. that the deer works. Okay. And so I use it quite, um, yeah, it's, it's one of my guiding stars, and it's one that I've given to a lot of organisations that I've worked with. Um, it's neat where it's taken me in personal life on the adventures and things I'm far braver than so I would you uh, would you jump off a bungee jump or would you <laughs> jump out of a plane very good question okay I've done seven skydives wow wow um, seven yeah because the father of my beautiful 25 year old was a skydiver <laughs> so um fall in love with a sky god or sky dog in Queenstown you definitely end up having to prove that you uh, are brave enough to do it, right? Yeah. So I spent many of my formative years here, um, back in the early days of Ultimate Jump, when there was a caravan on Jardines, and we would have to get um, the Kentucky tour groups doing aerobics on the grass, because there was nowhere for them to shelter in the cold winds that would come up out there, up the arm. Um, so yeah, I did seven skydives before I started making out lots of excuses never to go out to the drop zone because it never grew on me. Mm. Skydiving never grew on me. Um, I've done work for Hackett's and I've never bungee jumped and I can say on this podcast that I never ever will. Mm. As well, much as I love them, yeah. the only time I risked being at the bridge on site when working for them was when I was pregnant. 
And they even challenged me to do one then by, no. by saying that a, another local icon, Michelle Tretsky, had done one she, when she was pregnant. No. And I was like, no, this is my cover story. I'm not no. doing a bungee. No. Um, but I do, I do absolutely admire them. Um, but then after I split with my beautiful daughter's father, um, I decided then if you can't beat them, you better join them. So I learnt paraglide. And I did my PG1 rating, and I did 17 solo flights. 17 um, solos. 17 solos from here up behind where I live, off the Crown Range, and also off Coronet Peak. Wow. Um, 17, and um, yeah, tragically, however, um, in my group, we had a student death. Uh. um, And I think I did one or two more flights after that, and I had a two-year-old. Mm. And I was watching her playing in the Sampa. It's fantastic. Any tribe here, and mm. I call them tribes, yeah. summer tribes, winter tribes, skydiving tribes, paragliding tribes, whatever the tribe you like, yeah. um, with all respect to Tangata Whenua and Iwi here as well, um, I was looking at her going, I've done a flight today. It's not fair to leave her on the ground. Mm. And if I don't fly more, I'm not current. And if I'm not current, I'm not safe. Mm. And if I'm not safe, I'm not a good mum for my daughter. So that was the end of my paragliding days. (laughs) So for fun now, I race tuk-tuks with my husband in India instead. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) So, okay, that's that's a fair, that's a bit covered, but there might be other stuff you wanted to bring up as well which you can obviously slide in and, and put that yeah, in but sure. um obviously you've been here nearly around about 30 years now i think mm-hmm. and um so you obviously got a very good feel of the place um you know hr specialties you, you've sort of you, you've got some mantra and you, you've got a lot of experience um is this the first time that i guess you thought about uh, running as a councillor in one of the wards here in the area or i thought about it in the by-election i almost put my hand up at the last by-election, um, and Esther stood, and all respect for Esther, and I felt we had a good candidate yep. there, um, and also... Another person I've got to get on the podcast. Too, yeah, right? yeah, 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 all of our candidates, hopefully, I hope yeah, everybody gets an opportunity in the short yeah, no, time I frame should have you've got. got. Her, probably even my early days when I got here, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also I wanted to be sure that I... Ha- was in the right place to do it and right yep. time mm. on every consideration. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, and so that's when the planning started, I suppose, was going, well, do I really want to do this? And I went, I had a conversation with Alexa Forbes, our regional councillor, and she gave me great advice. And she said to me, go away and find out what the job actually is. Mm. And then see if you want it mm. because she said so many people come into council thinking they're going to be able to do xyz or they'll make this promise and and you know or think they can be fully transparent or whatever the case may be and when you get into that environment you realize that you've overpromised and you're going to have to under deliver so she really made me look at so I've been watching council meetings online, my hyper-reading skill kicked in, and I've read district plans, spatial plans, affordable mm. housing, you name it, tourism action plans, to work out what the job is. Because I see the campaign as quite a different piece. Mm. The campaign is just getting our names out there and getting people to 
understand that they've got to put their piece of paper in the mail, but actually sitting at the table and getting the job done, mm. that's where I want to focus, yeah. is just getting on with it. Mm. Yeah. That uh, makes sense. I mean, and and obviously you've been you you obviously know the area and you know. What do you think? Some of the things that you see in the future for this this uh, I guess this ward or this area. Yeah. Um, you know, wh- where do you see things changing, and what what things are you passionate about with the change? Yeah, it's a huge time for local governance, right? That was one of my reasons for standing. I have been exposed to local government and to central government um, through working as a consultant. I've worked with other councils as well. Waitaki District Council, I did their customer service strategy and helped to implement that. I taught Central Otago District Council staff customer service and helped on the team that looked at their sustainability strategy. I've worked recruiting and working on the human resource culture of Rationale, which is an infrastructure advisory business that my husband's managing director of. And so I've been around infrastructure, even to the extent, I was saying to someone at an event last night, all of these threads in my career weirdly wove into standing for council. I taught sustainability at the QRC for two semesters. Last night I was sort of like, well, I always wondered why I did that. And now look, I've got this little parcel of knowledge that helps me understand the local conditions, the climate crisis that we're in, all of these things. I was fortunate to go on a study tour with 60 or so New Zealand engineers to Finland, Norway, Estonia, Denmark, Um, looking at how municipalities run their affordable housing, their public transport systems, the front face of metro tunnels. And at the time, it was just one of those things where I was the person that didn't want to go on the wives' shopping tour. It didn't interest me, Mm. right? I jumped off one of the tour buses when I saw all the engineers sort of walking down the road one day. Mm. Looked like they were doing something more interesting. So I went in and sat through those sessions. And again, I was like, why did I do that? Because I found that fascinating. So now to be in a position to go, yes, I think I do understand our local conditions, but I also think I've had this unique opportunity to have exposure to perhaps some of the um, ideas and innovations that are not just national, but global. I've worked with the Far North District Council. I've worked... um, all around the country with these fast-moving consumer good experiences I've had. And I've worked in all kind of industries. I'm not just hospitality and tourism. As an HR consultant, I've worked with lawyers. I've worked with... I can't think of an industry that Mm. at some point I haven't done either like a code of conduct or a team-building workshop Mm. or or maybe a conflict resolution situation. Mm. So again, I sort of bring that... I might be high energy, but I'm low drama. Mm. I like to think that I'm tough on the problem, not on the person. You know, and it's easy to have all these little throwaway jargon facilitated lines, because that's what I do, right? Mm. That's my daily job. It's like last night at the presentation. I'm the one with the little visuals on my whiteboard. You know, Mm. everybody else is written with a pen. That's not me. to take one of Nita's great sayings, not me peacocking. That's just 
the skill I generally use in my daily work because I'm yep. used to being in front of a room or yep. used to being around a boardroom table, used to dealing with CEs and CEOs and mm. ministers or mm. um, councillors. It's mm. been part of my exposure in my work career. So I'm mm. not in my comfort zone. I'm gathering as much intel as I can for my learning curve. I'm just going, oh, look, that bit applies, mm. that bit applies. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean... I think you know you sound like you you, you sort of not just jumped in you've, you've really thought about um, what you can offer you've got great experience you've been thinking about you know running for and you've got I can just see the way your mind works you've you've got you've got sort of plans whether it's in your mind on, on how you want to do it or to a degree and you will learn as well but if things go well let's say you there's three positions uh, out of the six candidates you get one of those three positions obviously then the council for the next few years is there sort of goals beyond that to become then the mayor or something like that or was that something you ever oh never about? say never mm. you know i'm an aspirational person i've got my eyes set on diplomatic positions all over the world eventually you know i mean don't stop there whatever here for a good yeah. time not a long time exactly and i would hate to think that life would be just the next 30 days or 100 yeah, days or, yeah. you know, you've got to... I'm a believer that any thought you hold for 17 seconds starts mm. to, you know, be careful what you think about. Yeah. But that... I would like to give the position the respect of learning what it's about. That yeah. was my first instruction, was find out what the job is and if you really want which it. Is, which you've sort of been yeah, working on. Yeah, and um, that side of things, like when you said in the earlier question, what would you do, it's... I kind of believe backward looks are misdirected energy, like blame, right? All the yeah, fingers yeah, yeah. going back that way. It's very important we understand history and where we've yeah. come from, his story. It's one person's version of the truth. Yeah. Um, but I would like to think we don't waste too much time by re-examining, re-blaming, re-persecuting, yeah. re-fighting, yeah. re whatever. Yeah. I'm excited at the people that are standing. There yeah. is fantastic people coming to the party mm. right and if we can so you're take sort of talking both the, the mayor candidates and the council candidates or... i think it's really exciting to see this level of engagement with local democracy thank yeah. god yeah yeah you know i thought that friday morning when nominations were closing nine o'clock i was in without an election which was kind of making me excited because i didn't have an election budget <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, no signs. I don't have to pay for signs. Um, but at the same time, I was going, this is really going to suck. I'm going to have to, <laughs> I can laugh. I'm going to have to prove to my husband that I really was wanted by the community rather than just waltzing into the job, you know. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's a validation that if you get voted in by your community, it's because they've given you that, not mandate, but they've said, yeah, we trust you to come around, talk to us not act mm. outside of your remit, mm. right? Stick within, we say in our family, family eyes on your own work, you know, yep. stick within council's remit, um, but engage across the country, engage across the district. Mm. It's that change again, right? And my exposure to infrastructure, I know that a third of council business at the moment is water. And what are we going to do if we don't do water? Mm. Okay, yes, we've got the three waters argument, and I really hope that gets paused. Mm. That's my stance on three waters. Yep. 
But we've got two bits of it, well, one bit's legislation, one bit almost is, and the regulator we might have very little say about, and they're already recruiting for it. So with my HR hat on, mm. that looks a bit fait accompli to me. Mm. And I believe that high-risk, high-consequence decisions mm. should be given a lot of consideration. Yep. My ask of central government would be, can we slow that down, yep. right? The groundswell supporter last night told me all the farmers aren't going to fill in their asset register paperwork and so that's going to slow it down. Who knows what it will be. Mm. But again, we have to work within our lane. We have to stay on council's remit because if that does go through, it's got benefit for us. It takes 700, I don't know, 1,000 million, whatever, zillion, off our debt and maybe we'll fund our future infrastructure that at the moment we don't have a financial plan for because we count on a visitor levy that may or may not go through and we haven't accounted for the leaky buildings mm. and I'm really worried about our future financial position. Mm. So I want our future council mm. to be able to manage Queenstown Lakes, Southern Lakes Inc, yeah. right? Not just... Mm. one bit but are yep. we actually looking after the numbers and yep. are we looking after the people because again it's it's people and mm. are we addressing the climate crisis because look at this place we stuff this up we've got nothing mm. right yeah and um so it's those bits i i do feel like i've had exposure to the risks here right um I was commissioned by, I can't even think who did it, years ago, some great charity organisation got me to write a workshop called Risky Business and we had to look at the risks of business in this region and we had a couple of hundred people come and it was fantastic mm. and we put things under their seats like little bombs that were going to go off and mm. when they all sat down we were like well look under the seat that's what's just happened to you. And, you know, some people were in an aircraft disaster or some people were in an earthquake, but some people just hadn't backed up their work computer, mm. you know. And we just, as a group of about 200 people, spent this day workshopping mm. what it meant to be in this region mm. and risk I business. I risk the business, mm. right? My actions risk the business of my business, council's business, your business, whatever the case may be. Mm. And I've loved through times of trouble, this town comes together like super glue, mate. Look yep. at COVID. Our council, yep. hats off to them, built a social ministry of social development, basically, within a couple of weeks. We had 9,000 people unable to get home out of here, international. Mm. They built an airline. They, built, they gave supermarket vouchers. They looked after people mm. and I'm hopeful that if we get that one third of water taken off the books that maybe central government's remit to us will be local government needs to focus more on well-beings and the four pillars of well-beings because my whole HR nourish talent vision is well-being and well places mm. right? if we can make places well people are well. Mm -hmm. That came out of being in India and being around my female sisters from other mothers over there and seeing them walk 10 hours for water. Yeah. You know, yes. and you go, and they're taking their kids with them because it's not safe to leave your kid in the village. So that whole concept of well places 
became, I call them BFOs, they're like blinding flashes of the obvious, you know, you go, a well place is where people get the necessities of life. And in India, that becomes centred around some real basics, water, sanitation. In Queenstown, remarkably, it's the same shit, different bucket again, as Nana would say. It's how it's old Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's housing, it's safety, it's security, and financial security, and having a place to live close to where you have to go for your daily chores, mm. right? You don't want to walk 10 hours for water, and you don't want to come to Queenstown on a bus from Lumsden every day. No. It doesn't work. And I've been part of the pilot programs where they've tried that. We bust kids up from Lumsden. We put them in the barracks down there. Wins limited service volunteers, you know, will transition these kids into town. That had some great stories. I had a phone call from the Millbrook HR manager one day saying, can you please come and talk to this kid? He's got a bong in the locker and it's stinking up the staff rooms. You know, I mean, Queenstown has real gritty... Oh, sorry, phone running in the background. That. Sorry, Tim. Coffee break, everyone. Here we go. Here we go. Sorry about that. Yeah, sorry about that. Lost my train of thought on that. I don't want to be that she uses all the words type of counsellor either. Um, communication is about getting out and listening mm. to your community. And that's the way I've really been trying to campaign, is mm. to connect again with the different groups. Because... I always say about the Southern Lakes, it's like layers of the onion. Mm. You move in certain circles according to the age of your kids or um, what you're working on currently or where you live or whatever it is. And so getting back out there to listen to all of those other parts of our community that I haven't had as much connection with. Um, And, yeah, some of those issues are quite challenging Mm-hmm. from the well-being perspective, our seniors in particular, our families dealing with illness, um, those sorts of challenges mm-hmm. um, really call us to task. Yeah. So a question I ask a lot of the um, people I have on the podcast, who or what uh, would you consider to be like a mentor or a hero uh, that you sort of looked up to in your life and you use that as a bit of a guide to to sort of shape where you are. Maybe your mother has a part oh, of to play. Yeah, huge. But tell, yeah. You, you tell me. Um, hundreds of people. Mm. I get them, right? Um, my dad, my mum, of course, mm. my grandparents, 100%. All members of my family, extended family, my husband, my, my kids. I learn so much from my kids. Um, I make a habit of being surrounded by people that inspire me. Mm-hmm. And Dad told me years ago, you know, you reflect the company you keep. Yeah. And um, I'm very grateful for the relationships and connectivity that I have. Um, another one Dad taught me years ago, there's one nice thing about every person, right? Be careful with that one. It got me a stalker for a few days. I've a guy I sat next to on a flight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's about finding where you what you do have in common mm. with everybody that mm. you connect with because there's something right mm. there's always yeah. something that we can learn from each other that'll learn you um but then it's also i believe that those people that and this is part of my customer service training 
the people that push your buttons are the ones that you actually need to learn from. And if you don't get the lesson, the universe turns up the volume. So I used to say in customer service training, if you have a particular type of guest that really irks you, mm. chances are, until you sort it out, they will turn up every single shift you are on because mm. you will see that in that person so when you come against those people who you have a difference of opinion with an absolute clash of style with it kind of takes the heat out of it because you just get to appreciate them for who they are mm. and know that those bits that are irritating you might be something that you got to look at in yourself right they're kind of the well, why why do I have to be so judgy-judgy around what this person's up to? Why, in five years, is it going to matter? Or is it because I'm jealous of them or because they're doing something I'm not? Or what yeah. is it that's pushing my buttons? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sort of a judgy-judgy person when it comes to, you know, trying to help, you know, I, I like to help anybody. Like, I don't sort of, mm. just because someone is messier than somebody else... <laughs> it doesn't mean you know you, you still want to help them just as equally I think even though yeah. the neater person might be an easier easier piece of work or whatever you want to look at it so yeah. it's quite interesting what you say I did some great um, rites of passage training with the Global Youth Foundation we used to run this course called Discovery we would take 110 teenagers for a 7 day residential program and basically put them through a rites of passage because the idea was that in our culture we don't really have one, right? In mm. Papua New Guinea you might be in a tent, in a sweat lodge, whatever kind of environment or mm. in different ethnicities, there's different ways of making that journey. Mm. Um, and the learning in that was around that kind of embrace that next challenge and take mm. the learning out of it. That's yep. where BFOs came from. You know, it was like, yep. what are you going to get out of this? next job where are you going to focus your attention mm. um, because everything passes everything changes yeah. it's that whole you know I keep hearing oh we need a COVID recovery plan or when we're back to business as usual or, mm. you know normal we're back to normal you know, normal's a cycle on a washing machine in my mm. world I've never seen it anywhere mm. else and business as usual doesn't exist either mm. and a COVID recovery plan hey we are recovering we're not even in a recession did you see yeah. that this morning you know how long did it we we've moved on right mm. it's not recover it's progress yeah no I agree yeah. yeah and I was watching just before you arrived I was watching the Dalai Lama live topping up my little cup a bit um every single person in the audience here was wearing a mask and mm. it reminded me back in July mm. in Lay being in the Himalayas excuse me, Himalaya, mm. um, doing another ritual race, everybody there was still masked and it mm. wasn't an issue. Mm. You know, we're sort of letting some issues become a bit too politicised, I believe, mm. when, um, you know, it's just about, again, mm. tough on the problem, not mm. tough on the person. Yeah, okay. Um, I think we'll probably wrap up the podcast shortly. It's been a pleasure to, to listen to your story, Lisa, um, and lots of uh, things there, a lot of some philosophy, some mantras, way of life, some, really some interesting stuff. Uh, I guess final words, anything that you sort of wanted to, uh, I guess, bring to the uh, attention of the, the ward that you're representing or Queenstown uh, Lakes District area in general as we go towards, uh, you know, what is going to be a very interesting um, election. 
Yes, sure. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for the opportunity to talk with you today. Um, I think um, it's important that people understand where and how they're voting and just get a vote in, right? The papers are going to come out in the next couple of days. What I found last night was many people aren't even aware of the ward boundary changes, so they didn't realise they're in the Aratown Kawara ward. Uh, anyone east of the Shotover River, so Arthur's Point, yeah. Lower shot of a Dowfield, all those places. So check which ward you're in, mm. and look at your candidates. Oh. Get you get your form in the mail, put it in the post box. Yeah. I'm registered to vote. Um, I'm obviously voting in your electorate. So <laughs> there's obviously six candidates there. Three, yeah. three will get in. So yeah. Um, I think those anywhere you see me, you'll see my three standing ticks are people, productivity, and place. Um, people. Um, someone said to me the other day, I think you'll get in less because you care. People know you care. And I would be very grateful if that's why I got in. Because if my community know that I genuinely care about people, um, that validates my purpose. Mm. Um, productivity, we need to boost our workforce. People are struggling. Mm. They're burning out. And as an HR manager, that's my focus, yep. is our workforce. And place... Climate crisis 101. Mm. Week two, when I was here, I sandbagged the lakefront at Tahuna. Yes, I heard about that. Right? I've done that. That was against a 100-year flood. I've mm. done that three times since I've been here. So that's 1992? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. November 92. There you go. Right? In fact, Penny Clark was GM of the hotel. She was going to have a sweatshirt printed that had tick boxes on it. I sandbagged the lake in 92 and then the next one and then the next one <laughs> because we've done it more times than the initial job description would have led us to believe. Yeah. That's meant to be a 100-year event. We yes. are having those constantly. It's like that in Brisbane too. It really, it's just I, my place flooded, scary. My place flooded in the end of February. It's just... I was wow. in the Himalaya in yeah. July. A cloudburst came through a day behind us and killed 16 people yeah. and 40 were missing. Jeez. My husband says to me, we live just, the Arrow River's just down the back yeah. here. Mm. And Ed always, he's engineer, yeah. fantastic, works in Wellington most of the week, which is why I have time on my hands to stand for council, because otherwise I watch Selling Sunset every night. He said to me, if that Arrow River's ever backing up, get out. Mm. Because it means we've had a landslide further down the gorge. There's been an earthquake or something. We've got risks of sushi on the lake or whatever mm. our risks are, liquefaction in Glenorchy. Mm. We've got some big climate change issues that we need to be aware of, right? Yeah. But also, we've got great people here. And I believe, well, I know my husband, for one, used to be part of the civil defence response team, right? Mm. He doesn't have the time to commit to that now. But I know that if ship went down here, <laughs> he would be on the team, the same as all the other great emergency management people that we have in this community, because mm. they've done it before, right? When that lake flooded, they were commandeering cranes from there, they were dropping barriers into lake to break up the waves. This town responds in a crisis and it comes together. So I don't have fear around that. I don't. I think we're a very resilient community. Uh, it's been a pleasure yeah. to have you on the podcast, Lisa. Some really wise words and all the best in the election. Thank you. I wish you the best. And uh, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting election and can't wait to see what uh, what's next for this uh, 
lovely area of Queenstown Lakes District and uh, in particular the Arrowtown Kawarau uh, Ward. So thank you very much. Thank you, Tim. It's been great to talk with you. Episode 38 of the From the Resort podcast. Tim Wilshere with Lisa Guy. Thank you.